Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle Award-winning novel, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as Pretty Ugly and the Hotel series. Joining me today, as always, is my Vox Vomitus vixen, Alison Martine, author of The Bourbon Books, which includes September, Dibs, and Move on Melinda. And I said those all in the wrong order, but start with Dibs and then move it's on okay. there. <laughs> with us today is our fantastic guest, Miss Jessica Strasser, author of The Next Thing You Know, which happens to be the People Magazine choice for the month of April, he said, like best new book to read. One of them. One of them. No, the absolute best new book to read. (laughs) I'm sticking with that. Welcome, Jessica. Tell our listeners and our viewers a little bit about yourself and then a little bit about your new release. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm a writer in Cincinnati. Where are you guys? New Hampshire. You're on the West Coast. Oh, okay. I knew someone was on the West Coast. Yeah, we're like opposite ends of the country mm-hmm. from each other, but I did live in Ohio for 12 years. So Yeah, you have to fly over me to get to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Waving at you. We'll wave. Jessica, hello. <laughs> um, I started out as an editor. I was the editorial director at a magazine called Writer's Digest, which is for people who want to be writers or who are working writers um, looking to improve their careers. And now I contribute there from the outside, but I published my first novel in 2017. And the next thing you know is my fifth novel. Um, so I've been doing almost a book a year since then. And yeah, this is brand new. All five of them are from St. Martin's Press. And this is the story of an end of life doula. Actually, a woman who has um, recently done a complete 180, uh, left her job, her hometown, pretty much everything that is familiar in her life and baffled her friends and family by deciding she wants to become an end-of-life doula and work with people who are support them however they need help at the end of life and one day a man rolls up to her door in a dirty jeep smelling like a bonfire and she doesn't recognize him but um he's a pseudo famous indie musician who has recently fallen out of the public eye Nobody knows where he went, but where he is is on her doorstep, and he's got all these surgical scars, and he is um, physically losing the ability to play his guitar. And so he's come to her for help, um, letting go, coming to terms with that, um, with the time that he has left. And so it's about the connection between these two people and uh, living every day uh, to its fullest. Well, Jessica, uh, we loved the book. We both finished it the other day. Um, I was so intrigued just by the fact that you set this book in like the world of end of life doulas. I know two end of life doulas. Uh, I didn't know it was a thing. And then Jen's like, I know two of them. You have a very interesting community. (laughs) But honestly, I do a lot of like grief writing and writing about trauma and things like that. So I've met them through uh, like the grief community obviously, but I was just so excited. I know that's like a weird way to say like, oh my God, I'm so excited. It's about a death doula. Um, <laughs> that there is the grief community is also still something that I'm just looking at you like, 
what? Because when I hear doula, I, I have three kids. I know a lot of people who had doulas to have babies. So, you know, it's like birthing into another life. I'd never heard death doula. And if Jen hadn't said, oh, yes, I know too, I would have thought this was something you invented. Although when you're after credits, you do say, you know, you talk to people. So you did your research. You weren't just like, wouldn't it be cool if there were death doula? <laughs> <laughs> It is very equivalent um, to a birth doula, though, just at the other end of life. So, like, this holistic person mm-hmm. who could come in and kind of fill this gap between what the medical system can do and what your family can do. And I had never heard of one either. And the first time I did hear of one, I, I just was really intrigued. Like, what is that? And I started reading more and more about what they do. And I thought, what a special person. It would take to do that job and sit with people at the end of life. And I also thought um, that that person could be very, very misunderstood because, especially in America, people really do not like to talk about death. Like it's a pretty taboo topic. It's not, you know, there are some cultures around the world where it's part of their ritual that they honor their ancestors or they might have certain holidays or Here, it's not something that ever, you know, people actually skip over having really important conversations with their families because it's it's so sometimes people will try to talk to their family about it and their family is not receptive, like stop being so morbid and want to talk about this. And I thought it was such a misunderstood topic that I think a person who comes in and is trained to mediate those discussions could be a very misunderstood person, which to me sounded like a really interesting character to write about. Well, and I, I will say, so it wasn't my first job, but my second job, I was a appointment setter for prearranging for a funeral home. And I wish I were kidding, but I was not. And people used to joke and they say, did you literally like call the phone and say, hey, this is Melrose Abbey. Are you dead yet? And of course I did not. But most of the time I just got hung up on because people don't want to talk about it. Now, was this the worst job I ever had? Probably, but it was mostly just because I'm calling numbers of people who do not want to talk to you. And yeah. that's, that's not fun because I wasn't selling anything. I was setting up calls, but I worked in the funeral home. I had to learn all the terms like columbarium and all that stuff. I saw caskets of every size, including the babies. Not a job I think I'd want to do long term, but I learned a lot. So but did I know any death doulas? No. Did I know there were any? I think it's kind of, I, I don't want to say it's a new profession, but I feel like it's just kind of starting to be taken seriously as something that is a valid career choice. Yeah. Actually, the um, the month before this novel came out, there was a story in Time magazine about death doulas and the growing demand for them because of the pandemic. Because there was this value all of a sudden placed on having support when you're going through something like that. And how many horrible stories we had of people, you know, being in quarantine and not being able to get to their families and just the idea of not wanting to be alone if you're if you're facing death or if you're not sure whether you're facing death or not. And just I think there's a value now on nobody wants to go through that again. So, no, um, you know, I, I know a few hospice nurses and they, during COVID, they were just like, that's another job that it takes a very special person to be. And, you know, the stories they would tell about the fact that their like loved ones couldn't have their families with them were just so heartbreaking. Yeah. From a storyteller perspective, I liked the idea of a doula because there's 
such a range of what they can do. You know, a mm-hmm. hospice person is there for a very specific medical reason, and it's an enormous support at the end of life. But not everybody needs that. Maybe you just, maybe, or you don't need it yet. Maybe you've just gotten this bad diagnosis, and you're having a hard time coming to terms with that. And the idea of having this support person who can literally come at you and say, like, what do you want to do with the time you have left? And it could be Doritos. Eat Doritos. Doritos. I loved, and this is not a spoiler, but I loved one of the (laughs) secondary characters, this woman, Glenna, who was one of the main character, Nova's other clients, not the main character, not Mason. And how she's just like, let's eat Doritos and can we smoke some pot? Is that okay with you? (laughs) And and the whole idea of like, this is how she wants to do that. And just to have somebody be with her through that. I just, I adored that. And I'm going, now I kind of want Doritos. Not the pot, just the Doritos. Yeah, I like, did eat Doritos while reading this book. I won't lie. I, I don't yeah, have I had them, and then once that part came, I'm like, I really want them right now. So I was eating Doritos with Glenna and Nova. This feels like a missed marketing opportunity. Like well, I yeah, we got the Time yeah. Magazine <laughs> talking about death doulas. You're the the April people tells you to read it. Now Doritos needs to have like product. Doritos, the official like chip of little... death doulas. Yes. <laughs> I love the alliteration there. Yes, all the so mad men. <laughs> Get on that. Tell your publisher. <laughs> Tell St. Martin's to make a call and you can have uh, your own Dorito flavor. But that's the kind of that's the kind of jewel Nova is. I wasn't really interested in writing about, you know, some somebody who's just trying to, you know, Kelly just play by the rules. Kelly. And, yeah. I mean, Kelly. Nova's very like, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to see the ocean one more time? Do you do you have to like make up with your estranged sister? I can literally on your forgiveness list. I love that. We're not doing yeah. that one now. How about now? We're not doing that one now. <laughs> And Nova's kind of a loose cannon herself. You know, she's riding around on this motorcycle with new helmet on. And but she carries the helmet to show people. <laughs> Let's talk about motorcycles. Oh, right Did you put on your head? No. <laughs> <laughs> How she's all, she's, I, I love her contradictions. And there are explanations, which I won't get into because spoiler alert about how she's very good about what she puts in her body and snacks like everybody's eating the Doritos and she's like salted almonds but she's like hey, yeah, I'll, I'll go do these really reckless things it's fine but no no that has artificial colors I'm not doing that meatless Mondays come on yeah there's that whole there's this line from this um one republic song counting stars it's like everything that kills me makes me feel alive I think that's that's kind of Nova like she's just yeah just really wants to feel alive one day the way to do it is to do something kind of risky yeah crazy crazy the way to do it is get a bunch of tattoos (laughs) and ride roller coasters (laughs) go to the races okay so how much did you know about guitars before you went into writing this did you do some research or is this something you already had in your back pocket um i don't know that much about guitars i just really enjoy live music my son played my son does play guitar but not in like a fancy uh I know about these specialty guitars kind of way he's only 10 so (laughs) (laughs) prodigy but he's so yeah um I just really like I think I as a creative person I like writing about other types of creative people if I'm gonna live in the character's head for you know a year I it's good if it's somebody that 
It's good if it's a musician and not like an accountant. (laughs) Yeah. Like last year I wrote about an artist and yeah, I think I, I think there's, there's definitely something in common between different creative professions, but I'm also interested in what's different too. So uh, yeah, a musician was, it was super, um, I actually really loved writing Mason scenes, like thinking back on his career, you know, from one living out of his Jeep from one gig to the next. And he's really someone who's out there doing it. You know, if you talk to, I, I listened to this podcast when I was writing this book called Ask a Death Doula and it's hosted by a death doula and she has other death doulas on as guests. End of life doulas is the appropriate term, but the podcast yes. is called Ask a Death Doula. It's kind of slang. Also better alliteration for death doula than. Yes, yes exactly. Um, but she taught, they talk about how kind of the number one thing the number one regret of their clients is just people kind of coming to them and saying, I didn't, I don't, I never did the things I planned on doing. Like, shoot, I'm out of time. And I just, I never went for this. I never, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And I liked the idea of pairing a a doula being someone who's used to hearing that pairing her with a client who has been outliving his life to the fullest. So Mason, you know, he's been going after it, like living for the moment, not planning for the future, just him and his guitar. And he's pretty much married to the guitar. He doesn't really have anything else going for him. And so when he realizes he's losing the ability to play that, I mean, he's, he's got nothing else. He's very single-minded, but I feel like I have known some, um, some artists and some creative people who are very single-minded, sometimes very, very successful from that single-minded drive and to have it taken away would be, yeah, it would be terrible. Yeah, you know, he he broke my heart in so many ways. Um, Also found him very dreamy because musician. Um, But like, I was just, you know, I was reading the book, eating my Doritos, and my husband's a classical guitarist. And he was, you know, sitting there playing. And all I could think of was like, what if he lost that ability? Like how heartbreaking that would be. So I really felt for Mason. At least Roman can also dance. So if his feet still work, that's at least something. (laughs) I don't think Mason, we don't, we don't have any ballroom dance scenes. I don't think he's a ballroom dancer. No, I can't picture Mason doing the Foxtrot. No, I can't really picture that. (laughs) I I think there's that idea that a lot of people, all kinds of musicians and people tapped into during um, lockdown at the beginning. I was about halfway through this, through my first draft of this novel when everything shut down and COVID first started here. And um, it was really interesting, like seeing what I was writing about with Mason. You could see it in other musicians. Like, so, you know, he's so upset his tour was canceled. Well, suddenly everybody's tour was canceled. You could go on YouTube and watch all these, you know, rock stars playing concerts in their living room just to their webcam. And you could kind of tell, I mean, it's very first world problems compared to what, you know, medical workers we're dealing with and people who were losing somebody we're dealing with. But at the same time, I feel like we went through this kind of collective phase where a lot of people couldn't do the thing that gives them purpose in their day and that brings them joy. And I felt like some of those artists, they would come on and say like, I just want to put some joy out into the world and play this. But you could really tell like, you're kind of doing that for yourself. Like mm-hmm. you don't know what else to do with yourself. You know, yeah, um, I'm losing your mind. I'll fully yeah. admit um, as my husband and I are, 
were professional ballroom dancers and dance instructors. And when COVID hit, everything shut down. And we went to our dance studio, which was empty. And we made all these videos and tutorials and like posted them on YouTube because of the same thing. We were like, what are we going to do? Like, okay, we'll just, we have to teach somebody. Let's just. (laughs) And you guys were already in your own bubble because you're married. So, yep. Oh, that is amazing that you were able to do that. that. And if you hadn't had access to that studio, I guess yeah. you could have improvised. But Yeah. After a while, we started teaching students outside in their driveways from like 12 feet away, yelling this, at them. This. Like, move your legs. You know? <laughs> so I have to, you said you worked for Writer's Digest. Mm-hmm. So what was it like making the transition from being an editor at Writer's Digest? to all of a sudden being the person out there trying to get the agent, trying to get the deals. Like, did you feel like you were mentally prepared for that journey because of your work at Writer's Digest or? Um, there was no all of a sudden about it. First of all, there was, it was a very long, gradual process. Um, I felt like I should have been prepared for the journey, but was not. I, I know. I was like, I love that you said uh-huh. should. <laughs> should. Yeah. I think the thing that I was missing was any kind of confidence whatsoever oh, no. in my, in my fiction. So, you know, I, I, I felt like I was really, I was, I was good. I knew I was good at my job as editor at Writer's Digest. I would interview writers for cover stories. And, you know, I've been doing that job for years and I'd worked in many different aspects of the publishing industry before I landed there. I used to be a um, commercial nonfiction book editor and um, I had worked in marketing and PR for a little while and edited different kinds of magazines. And so I had done a little bit of everything that our readers were interested in. And I just felt like it it informs my work at the magazine and it's a publication that's been around for a long time. It's been around for over a hundred yeah. years at this point. And you kind of inherit this tradition when you're doing the job, but I felt like I had, I felt like I had already walked the walks and the walk, the walk in a number of different areas where I felt very capable in doing that job. And then I started kind of in secret working on fiction at night. And by the time I had it to a point where I felt like it was maybe ready to show it to someone. It was like, now I have to show it to someone. And yeah. I, what was that like? That's uh, terrifying. It was you, actually. I, I mean, I to? never, did I'm did just going to have, I was just going to say, did you already have contacts and people that you go, okay, these are the people that I would trust to give it to me straight or help me find the right agent for this particular work. Or were you just like, I don't know. Not, I don't want to like come out there, of my there were like agents who I'd met at conferences and who contributed to the magazine very regularly and things like that. I would would not, I could not send my work to any of those people. <laughs> so like all the logical things you would do, like I'm just going to call up some people I know and maybe they'll tell me. I was afraid. Because then you're afraid because what if they say no and then you're like, oh, well, I have to talk to you for the magazine next month. Well, and I didn't want oh. anybody to say yes if it wasn't good enough. Either. Yeah. So that was like, you know, I, I just was like, am I embarrassing myself here? I mean, I really don't know. You're hurting me, Jessica. <laughs> it was, so I really, at the beginning, I only pitched people who I, I didn't think knew who I was and who I had <laughs> no interaction with. 
which is a terrible strategy. If you are watching this and you're a writer and you've ever been to a conference and like met an agent or something, you definitely want to pitch that person I first. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing this and thinking, you would have had all these great contacts. And you're like, no, no, I'm scared of all those contacts. <laughs> somebody who hasn't, you know, Jessica Strudel. Yeah, like, right. Like I'm going to find an daughter? intern at a small yeah. agency and pitch that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not. I mean, it was, anyway, <laughs> it was really, it was, it was a long process. And I did eventually, I got an agent on a revise and resubmit request, which is when an agent tells you they have, you know, they see potential in your work, but they don't feel that it's ready yet. And I had a phone call with an agent and really took his his advice to heart, actually rewrote my whole book, like opened a blank document and rewrote my whole novel and resubmitted wow. from, from oh, wow. scratch, from my blank document. And he signed Ooh. me that. Um, okay, so what was that? That? But, he was not, but he was not able to sell that book. But it did get my foot in the door. And And sometimes that's all it takes. Because then when you have a champion behind you who can be like, okay, what do we have next? And what are editors for? That's that's important. Yeah. So then I had, so then I had, yeah. So then I lost that agent. (laughs) 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 I had the champion behind me and then I did not anymore. Yeah. yeah, I'm, he, so, I'm not laughing at Jessica, you, Jessica. No. We've just heard I mean, just, these, we've heard these, we've like, heard these stories so much that. where it was like, oh, I no. just wish I was there with you to, I mean, this is tea, but I wish we were out drinking right now and we could just, yeah, right. but go. Yeah. Mugs of vodka. That, that agent, this is lemon tea, Jennifer. <laughs> right. and if anybody sees me like poking at my cheek, it's because I've got a Ricola shove back there so I can see it. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I mean, I was so grateful to that agent for everything he taught me in my years, like revising that first book and everything. But we did not. It turned out that he wasn't the right partner. We didn't see eye to eye on where I would go from there, what I would try next. Um, so I ended up parting ways with him and kind of being back to square one. And um, at that point, back there was the at that point, there was um, I was at a conference and I was speaking bravely speaking in person to an actual <laughs> about what I was working and working on. And I kind of said, like, I have this book that already made the rounds and then I have this other book, but I'm not really sure if I'm going to submit it. I'm not sure, you know, what I'm going to do. You know, my first agent wasn't too excited about it, and, which is not a thing you should also ever say. <laughs> my hey, other agent. Love this. What do you mean? <laughs> I have a book nobody liked and a book that my agent hated. Do you want to read it? Which one? Yeah, Yeah, that is like exactly what, I mean, it was, and she was kind of like, I think just felt sorry for me. Like, oh my God. (laughs) Just just to shut me up, which is like, just send me both of them and I'll take a look. And um, she loved the new book. Loved it. Yeah. So that just shows that that first the first agent wasn't the right fit because yeah. they didn't fall in love with that. And so anybody who's out there in the query trenches who's like, you yeah. know, why am I not? It's it's there's so much subjectivity to it that somebody maybe like even somebody who already knew your writing and already had a relationship with you may not have clicked on that book. That doesn't mean that there's a problem with the book. Totally. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that there's a problem. Yeah. I'm just sometimes it's just not the right fit, and maybe you don't know enough upfront to know that yeah yeah 
Anyway. And it's hard to not take every kind of mini rejection and rejection so, so personally doing what we're doing, where it's just like, they didn't like the book, I am a failure. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I immediately go there, where it's mm-hmm. just like. <gasps> well, and I think it's, I think it's like almost the opposite problem too, where sometimes you think like you're, it is so subjective and you you know, you're just not seeing eye to eye with somebody on a project and you think, well, maybe somebody else would feel differently because I know this is subjective, but then you also don't want to be that person who's like, well, if you didn't like it, then I'm going to huff up. You know, you're trying to like, okay, yeah. no, they probably know what they're talking about. It probably yeah. isn't the right yeah. project. I should show, you know, you kind of have to battle yourself on that kind of thing. But yeah, that ended up being my, the second novel with the second agent ended up being my debut. And yeah, next thing you know is my fifth novel. Five. I love it. It's, and it's great that you've been with the same publisher for the entire time, too. Have you had the same editor? No, I've had a number of different editors. There's been a lot of turnover there, but um, I had the same for the last two. So A Million Reasons Why, um, which just came out in paperback in February. That was a... Flash the book. Like, show show the us book. the book. Just, Hold yeah. the book. Show the that book. was a pandemic release last year, a true pandemic release last year. But so A Million Reasons Why is now new in paperback if you missed it when it came out in hardcover (laughs) and the next thing you know so I've had the editor on the same editor on these last two what's it like going from being an editor to working with an editor do you ever get their feedback and go excuse me I'm an editor I know (laughs) (laughs) you would never I know you would never I would never no (laughs) that that kind of thing kind of happens more with like the copy edit sometimes where it's just the like the little like line edit this shouldn't be an m dash you're like, how is this so red? When I am a clean writer, I don't know, you know. But then you go through it and you're like, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely something to be said for just, don't you guys think staring at something for so long, you just need yes. a fresh dialogue. Yes. 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 So I think, I think I, I really, having been an editor, I really appreciate what editors can bring to the table. I value having a fresh eye. I try to view the process as a collaboration and kind of set my, you know, ego aside. If you're going to have a knee-jerk reaction to anything, maybe just like that's the best line I ever wrote. One night, say. and then the next day you wake up and you're like, okay, I'm yeah, over it's it. It's fine. I'm, yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It is. I feel. I feel like sometimes you know, um, like you almost know too, uh, if you've done it before, you almost know too much about what's going on behind the scenes. Like sometimes, sometimes when you get like a very carefully worded email, you're like, oh no. You're <laughs> really saying. Yeah. Those lines, oh, you really did not like that part. Oh, that was a very diplomatic way of telling me this. Was awful. Thank you. I appreciate that. You, you can like picture the conversations going on. Yeah. Behind closed doors. No. <laughs> the best thing but it's like knowing how the sausage is made yes yes the book sausage (laughs) not a not a good thing sometimes no but i mean having having been with the same press for for five releases that's pretty awesome and you're like hey now i have all these these friends who are my my editor team who's worked with you and what are are you working on now and do you know we get the same editor (laughs) i cannot talk about what i'm working on yet quite but I'm actually in really early stages and I'm really, I'm going full speed ahead on it. Full speed ahead. 
Well, and you said you've had basically a book a year. And for a traditionally published author, that's a pretty aggressive schedule. So it's not like you've been slacking and we're like, come on, Jessica, it's been eight years. What's your next book? Come on. And we, we've talked to some people who that's how it's been because it's it's dragged out between so that they've come on our show and they're like, this is my second novel. My first one was seven years ago. And it's like, what, what were you doing for the seven years? And sometimes it's like, working on this thing and going through revisions. And other times it's like, oh, I wrote four books. It's a while to hit on what the next thing is going to be. You know, sometimes it's just, Mm -hmm. sometimes you need a little time in between. And I like to do, like my next book will probably not be out next. If it is out next year, it'll probably be in the fall. Instead of December 31st. (laughs) Yeah. Like (laughs) late 2024. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a little pause once in a while to reorient or to do something else. And, you know, I started as a short form writer and I still do freelance work and I do some freelance editing and I really enjoy finishing something more than once a year. I have to say, I just need to do something that I can finish. Yeah. Yeah. Like have the satisfaction. The end is is very satisfying. I wrote something in one day. Remember how I used to do that all the time? And then just a 600 word blog post but i finished but still it. it's done it's finished it's posted it's posted people are reading it like like yeah. like yeah exactly so i think all that different stuff that feeds into it like just kind of ebbs and flows sometimes you have a busy season where or you're you know it was interesting well every some of the other stuff i do also either shifted virtual or dried up mm-hmm. during covid yeah that was a shift too, but now it's like, yeah, writing conferences are finally happening in person again and things like yeah. that. Sometimes, sometimes you just know that your brain's going to be pulled too many different directions for a time and I think it's okay, but it I is. I am a believer in forward momentum, like working on something. It doesn't have to be another book, but. Well, and your 10 year old can serenade you with his guitar and be like, come on, come on. Exactly. Get that, get that yeah. crazy. Yeah. No, my 11 year old is learning to play the flute. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's really going to be helping me get the brain going, but. Yeah. We need like Jennifer's husband to play for us. Yes. You know what? He does do a Twitch stream. So I have sometimes sat and listened to Roman playing guitar, but then it's like, he sees that I'm on there and he's like, hi, Alice. I'm like, just go back to playing. You were entertaining me. (laughs) (laughs) Like I need something while I'm writing. No, you are my background music. We're not here to chat. I'm supposed to be working. Trying to be anonymous here. Exactly. But. You know, yeah. who knows who I am. So there we go. Well, you're so famous everywhere you go. Everyone recognizes yes. you. <laughs> you have to log on online without people being like, Alice is here. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, like maybe not, someday. Not 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 <laughs> so much. That's 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 fine. I'm okay. We're with gonna that. make it happen. Yep. I'm one, one podcast at a time. One one podcast. I'm fine with being anonymous so I don't get mobbed by anybody other than my own children. And they like <laughs> mob me and they think it's funny. But, you know, I don't need adults. You're like the Beatles to them. (laughs) I am. I am. All four of them rolled into one. (laughs) So, Jessica, what is your writing process like? Are you an outliner? I always just assume if people are editors, then they're probably very organized. Notes, colors, pens, and all that. Answer. Yes. All of that for me, all that comes in in the revision process. And I'm like, if only my brain could have done these things before, I would not be spending so much time in this revision process. But, <laughs> That'd be nice, but no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I'm a very intuitive 
Like I can really, sometimes I can only see it like as far as my headlights down the road, yeah. but I, yeah. I usually light discovery writers. That's exactly it. And that's the fancy term for it. So we don't say pantsers, you know, that sounds so like we're just running around by the seat of our pants, which we are. It's good still. No, I mean, I, I love that. It would be a better term. What did you say? Flashlight? They say flashlight discovery writers. Like if you think about it, that the, the story is a path and you've got a flashlight and you can only see as far as the flashlight goes. So you, yeah. you can't say, well, I know I need to get over there because you don't even know till you're at this juncture, whether you're going to go this way or that way. So I know some people are like, well, don't you know the ending? And I'm going, well, how would I possibly know? How that? would I know the ending? Exactly. Sometimes I'm halfway through my book and I don't even realize that's when I go, oh, I figured out what my book's about. Yes. Like I'm 45,000 words in. Yeah, I'm like 57 and I'm still like, I don't know where I'm going with this. This is fine. We'll figure it out. <laughs> but I love you have those things because I, I do some freelance editing too. And I'm very harsh on other people's works. I'm a very mean beta. Jennifer knows this. She's like, Al should be She's nice. mean. <laughs> but it's, I'm not I don't write like that at all and I love how like you're kind of the same way where it's like yes my editing is like this but when I'm writing I'm like let's feel where we're going with intuitiveness I feel like I'm like a I'm a pantser I'm a flashlight person who wishes I was an outliner like yeah like I this would be gosh it would sure be nice to know wouldn't it I, know, I, I, know always think do, but I do usually know some component of the mm-hmm. end like often my books will have a fairly big twist near mm-hmm. the end and sometimes I, I like to know the twist so sometimes I will know the twist but I don't know how I'm going to get there and I don't mm-hmm. know how I'm going to tie up the other loose ends mm-hmm. but that's enough for me like to have just one thing that I'm writing toward especially if it's a twist that's hard to go back and yeah finish. yes so <laughs> I like to have something like that but then yeah I have the freedom of like I don't know how I'm going to get there but I'm going to try to have faith in myself that I'm going to figure it out. Maybe not in this draft. But <laughs> Round two. At some point, yeah, timelines are the main thing that I never seem to be able to do those until the revision. And I always mm-hmm. think I would have saved myself so much time if I had like been able to stop and make a timeline for all this whole thing. Especially you know, if there's I've a system. Yes. And sometimes it's like, it doesn't matter whether I try beforehand. I'm like, I still don't really know. And I've got to count it back and go, okay, if she was here on this day and then it's this many days, I, hold on, give, give me a calendar and figure that out. I know. Out. I'm like, how many months has the story been going on? Has it been two weeks or has it been like four months? I don't know. Or even, even stuff like like an element of backstory where they're like, yes. well, 10 years ago I was, and then I'm like, wait, how old she are was seven. you? That's she was seven years old. <laughs> oh, character was not born. This would not work in this scene. Yeah, uh, and and you had that in this book, so no spoilers. But we have like a Nova then, Nova now, and you go back and forth. And so sometimes I'd, if I would scroll down too quickly, because I was reading on my computer, I'd scroll too quickly, and I miss like, wait, is this current or not? Okay, uh, okay, this is now. All right, go go go. To see yeah. where, where people are, and you have to hold all those pieces in place. And it's almost like you've got two books, and then you shuffle them like a deck of cards. Where it's like, yeah. yeah. So like when, at the beginning of this book, we kind of find out like Nova is being. Uh, accused of mishandling Mason as a client and then we go back to the beginning of their relationship and see the day they met and we're kind of going back and forth so it's it's dual timeline but the two timelines are only like three months apart yeah it's, it's, it's not, not like years apart. apart but 
Yes. If you are writing a dual timeline novel, it would be helpful to have like a timeline. (laughs) (laughs) You have a dual timeline. You need at least one of them to keep track of both of them. Yeah, I I did not until I was revising. (laughs) Then I had to like lay it all out. Look, I can't keep track of even things like stupid things. What kind of cars my characters drive. So I now have separate documents that remind me so that you don't have one character driving three different cars in the same book because they don't have three different cars. I just don't know the difference. So I just keep changing. Like it was a Tundra. No, um, it was a Tacoma. Is that a, is that a thing? It's, it's a truck. I don't know. Someone's driving a truck. Just get in the truck and go. <laughs> well, especially even just in developing a connection or a relationship, like sometimes I really have to see how it plays out on the page and think about how long that's going to take because I love actually my last two novels with a million reasons why I am the next thing, you know, I love the idea of how somebody can just come into your life and just change your life. I love like movies and TV shows and books about like strangers who meet through whatever circumstance and have a really big impact on each other's lives in a really short amount of time. And I knew that was something I wanted to do in this book because who better than an end of life doula to have the tools to have a really big impact on somebody's life in a short amount of time. But then as you're actually building the story, it's like, well, how much time do you need? You know, I'm not going to tell one of these stories where, you know, it's like, you know, the little mermaid where they, she met the prince one time and now they're in love and they're getting married. How much time do we actually need to really feel and believe like a human connection between yeah. these two people and, Things, I think that is why I wasn't able to lay it out in advance because if you're really trying to get into like the emotional space of your characters and the relationships that are forming, like you have to kind of see how it, you have to let them form and then figure it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And you never want those people who are just like jaded saying like, Oh, people wouldn't feel that connected to somebody that quickly, that quickly, which is, you know, kind of nonsense, but at the same time, you don't want that love at first like absolute love at first sight. I think like, like oh, well, especially if, it's, if you're already in this time of heightened emotion, like it's a very emotional time for Mason. So, mm-hmm. you know, but um, yeah, I'm not really sure why the little mermaid popped into my head. <laughs> I mean, it's Marvel. a classic example. We're going to go with the hands Christian Anderson. It's a cautionary tale in a lot of And ways. the crab. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's valid. And I think that's, I, I, I always will love the fact that if anybody here has not seen the movie Frozen because no child made them, that they actually have that whole, like, oh, I just met him and I'm, and I'm getting married. And everybody's like, what? That, that's a stupid thing. They finally call out a Disney princess on doing yeah. the classic Disney princess He's thing. like, yeah, we can finish each other's. And he's like, sandwiches. sandwiches. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and, 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 the set, and I saw Frozen too. And then when the real love of her life is talking to her and basically bundle bungles a proposal because he's like, yeah, I, I thought you were crazy. You thought I was crazy because you know, she was <laughs> going to marry this guy that she met two minutes ago because. I think like the point is if your whole story is hinging on this like relationship, like, yeah, sometimes, sometimes you can't lay out the timeline mm-hmm. in advance, at least for me. I know romance novelists can like, if you're writing category romance, that's a whole different thing, but. you can then you know the timeline yeah Yeah. and even even still though i think it's it's funny because i i have characters some who've known each other longer and fall in love and some who 
fall in love relatively quickly. And then people are like, it's a slow burn. I'm like, it was seven days. How much faster did you want that to go? <laughs> well, but it's not just about like romantic love. Like A Million Reasons Why is about um, these two strangers who are linked by one of those mail-in DNA tests and they find out that they're half sisters. And like, you know, how long would it take after finding out that somebody else exists and finding out that you have a sister? Like, how long would it take you to wrap your mind around that? And then when you meet that person for the first time, like how long might it take to decide whether you want to see them again or not? You know, there's all sorts of complicated. Okay. So you took to death doulas for the, the current book for, for the next thing, you know, did you talk to anybody who had something like that happen for a million reasons? Why? Um, like a surprise DNA test. Result. Like people who found out about siblings who, who didn't know they were siblings thanks to that. I did not interview anybody about that, but I did read a ton of stories about that online. Yeah. Oh, totally fair. I just, I went to high school with one person at, at high school and knew th- someone else through something separate. And they found out that they both came from the same sperm donor and neither one of them knew that they were, not the biological children of the fathers who raised them and found out much later through that. And one of them reached out to me say, so you're a mutual friend of this person. Turns out she's my sister. Totally crazy stories. Like awkward family reunions. That is crazy. Yes. Awesome. There are some, I mean, Reddit, there are some serious threads. <laughs> Reddit thread. That's a whole nother subject. Oh yeah. I like Reddit. <laughs> when I was, like thinking about this idea, I I fell down some Reddit rabbit holes, like reading people's <laughs> it's, stories. Of- it's easy to like. I know if I even like go onto Reddit, I'm like to to research. Um, <laughs> research. It, it's going to be hours at least. I mean, it was really like the the cu- the effect was based the cumulative effect is basically like why write a novel about this? Like, there's way weirder things happening. Yes, in the real world, if I were to put some of these scenarios in my novel, no one would believe people would be like, that is not believable. Yeah. These are like real stories from Mm -hmm. people. But I think it was helpful because I, you know, it had me thinking about like, for the most part, when people get these surprise results, they fall into two camps. Like there's the people who went looking and found what they were looking for, which can be particularly meaningful, like for uh, adopted children, families of adopted children, things like that. Um, and then there's the people who are completely blindsided and like wish they had never taken the test. And once you know it, you can't unknow it. And so my initial concept for that book was to have someone in each camp. Yeah. Uh, so there's a sister who went looking and then there's a sister who's totally blindsided. And like the sister who went looking knows that she has never known her father. Like she knows that there could be other people out there. Um, and then have something happen that makes them switch. So the person who went looking starts to think maybe I should not have done that. And the person who gets blindsided and her life is turned turned upside down starts to think, well, I think I deserve to know these things about my life. And so that was my initial concept was like to have one person in each camp and then have something happen that makes them switch stances. And I love it. I love that too. Gosh, well, I can't wait to read whenever it comes out, whatever you're working on next. <laughs> hey, thanks. Top secret project. Top secret project. You I can't wait to find things. out what happens in it either. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll let you know when, I'll let you know when I know. <laughs> and then go back in the next draft and make sure it makes sense. Hopefully it makes sense. And hopefully there's a timeline. Yeah. 
Timeline to my mind. It'll come. <laughs> it's not, yeah. those, those can happen later. <laughs> Jessica, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the invitation. And, and congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations on everything. On the launch <laughs> and also on the April people book of the month. We're just going to go with that. I mean, there's probably other words in there, but book of the month per people. <laughs> I don't think that's what it was, but we will Good go enough. with it. We yeah. can go with that. We don't need to be factual right now. <laughs> I liked it. Prince William and Princess Kate were on the cover. So, so hey, like, that's practically an endorsement right? by the royals. <laughs> <laughs> that's a stretch, Jen, but I like it. I think, yes. I think they do. Approved. <laughs> like, look at page 39. <laughs> Pointing at it. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> oh, everyone who is watching this on our YouTube station, make sure to hit like and subscribe and check us out. We will be back Sunday with the one, the only Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box, Goblin, Pearl, Unbury Carol, and a million other books. So stay tuned. I just That's read Sunday. all of them too, so. You just read all of them in the past week. <laughs> Let's go. All right, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.